Hi everyone, this is Leslyn Keith, President of the Board of Directors at the Lipedema Project and Director of Research. Welcome to Living Well with Lipedema. Today I have an excerpt from an interview with Dr. Zoe Harcum from our Lipedema and Keto Worldwide Summit that was held in 2019. Dr. Harcum is an independent author, researcher, and speaker in the field of diet, health, and nutrition. In this excerpt, she talks about her research into what evidence was available at the time the U.S. and U.K. dietary guidelines were developed and published, and how these guidelines have made the majority of the world sick and fat. Our dietary guide, I was trying to understand why we eat so much carbohydrate. And the simple answer is not because we found carbohydrate to be healthy, we've not even found it to be safe, we quite frankly just simply haven't studied it. Arguably, we have studied it over the past 40 years in the US and America and New Zealand and Australia, and it has turned out to be catastrophic. But we tell people to eat 55% or more of their diet in the form of carbohydrate for one reason, and that is because we demonized fat. And so what I wanted to do with my PhD study was to understand the evidence against fat, because that's where where it all starts. We only eat three things. Not many people know, I get really annoyed when people talk about meat and fish, whatever has been protein foods. Protein is in every single food on this planet other than sucrose and pure fats, which are basically oils and lard. So everything in between, you guys know this, but you know, for any listeners unaware, every single thing in between has protein, whether it's lettuce or beans or an apple or a slice of bread, up to the more obvious things like steak and fish. So protein is in everything. And as a result, protein tends to stay fairly constant in any natural diet. You've got to do really stupid things like egg white omelettes, skinless chicken breast, white fish, um, ad nauseum to get into stupid kind of protein levels or protein shakes. So it tends to stay fairly constant around 15 to 20%. So we set a dietary guideline that thou shalt not have more than 30% of one's calories in the form of total fat. And the minute you do that, you are also setting a guideline that the remainder has to be carbohydrate, which is where the 55% comes in. So then you look at the evidence base for that 30% total fat guideline. There were two guidelines that actually came in at the same time. One was no more than 30% in the form of total fat. The other was no more than 10% in the form of saturated fat. I'll stick with the total fat for now. What I wanted to do was to say, had the committee at the time, 1977 in the US, 1983 in the UK, had they had the modern statistical technique of systematic review and meta-analysis, they would have been able, as a committee, to say, let's pull all the evidence available and let's look at the evidence and see what it tells us. Because the highest level of evidence that we can get in academic research is a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials. So that's the first paper that Tim almost certainly referred to, Professor Tim Noakes, because it was one that came out in February 2015, and I started with the highest level of evidence. So let's take the randomized controlled trials available at the time, do a meta-analysis on those. The paper was devastating for public health authorities because it simply said there were six trials available to the UK committee, only five were available to the US committee. No women were studied whatsoever. 
The only men that were studied were sick men. They had already had a heart attack. Fewer than 2,500 sick men were studied in total across these six trials. And when you pulled the evidence, there was no evidence whatsoever for all-cause mortality or coronary heart disease mortality. So total dietary fat guidelines and saturated fat guidelines were introduced in the name of coronary heart disease, coronary heart disease mortality, and there was no evidence whatsoever. And that got worldwide headlines. I mean, it was everywhere from the Sydney Herald to the New Zealand press. It was all over the UK. I remember doing about 20 radio and TV interviews on the day that it came out. Very surprisingly, Public Health England conceded almost immediately, okay, so there was no evidence at the time, but there's loads of evidence now. So of course, I'd already looked at my PhD being in four parts. Let's look at the randomized controlled trial evidence at the time. Let's also look at the epidemiological evidence at the time, the population evidence, because although it's weaker than RCT, let's be as fair as possible and let's just see what that suggested. And then let's look again at both the RCT evidence available today and the epidemiological evidence available today also. So the next paper that was published was the RCT evidence available today. That added in four more trials on top of the six trials that were available in 1983. One of them you'll be very familiar with, which of course was the Women's Health Initiative. That whacked the numbers up because of course it was a study of around 50,000 menopausal women. So the number studied suddenly shot up to about 62,000 overall. Men and women were included this time. Some healthy people were included, not so many. There ended up only being one study that included both men and women, generally healthy people. That was the Minnesota Coronary Study, which of course was in mental institutions. So arguably, again, not representative of the general population. So we wind forward to today and we have no top level evidence saying there is evidence that can be applied to whole populations today. And then I looked at the epidemiological evidence, just to be fair, and when you pull all of that evidence together at the time and now, it boils down to one study out of six at the time that suggested there was an association, not with total fat and heart disease, but with saturated fat and heart disease, and that, of course, was the seven-country study. So in all of that evidence across four decades, one study bucked the trend and suggested an association with saturated fat, not with total fat. Not many people know that, that the seven country study didn't find against total fat. And suddenly we have these two guidelines, one with no evidence whatsoever and one with one study, weak suggestion, bucking the trend. And that's where we are today. And we're telling people to eat 30% fat, 10% saturated fat. And as a result, we're eating 55% or more in the form of carbohydrate. And if ever we have proven that carbohydrates make you fat and diabetic, I think we've proven it over the last 40 years. Of course, the other counter argument is, well, what do you think we were doing for three and a half million years? You know, the low fat dietary advice only came in in 1977. Up until that point, you know, particularly longer than 2000 years ago, our general eating policy has been, you know, if it moves and you can catch it, then eat it. You know, the Ice Age only ended 10,000 years ago, 30,000 years of pretty much zero carbohydrate axis across much of the planet, particularly the regions, you know, further away from the equator 
that's when mankind had its greatest development. You know, that's when the brain moved from sort of, you know, Neanderthal tool user to intelligent cave drawer. You know, that's when our biggest development occurred, when basically we were fueling on predominantly fat and protein from the animals that we were drawing on the cave paintings. You know, so we only introduced grains into the food system, you know, a few thousand years ago, which is the blink of an eye in terms of evolution. You know, people say, oh, we're fine with grains or whatever. You know, really? I think we're fine with animals. You know, when somebody's saying, oh, you know, red meat is trying to kill you, it's just, and I say this as a vegetarian, I, you know, a former vegetarian, somebody who really did not want this to be true. If there were anything in animals that were bad for humans, we would have died out three and a half million years ago. You know, the only thing that we can pretty much guarantee has to be safe are the animals running around on the planet. And they just also happen to contain all the vitamins and minerals that we need for life, you know, to live, to thrive, to be healthy. All of those nutrients are found in abundance in animal foods, far less so in plant foods. Thank you, Dr. Harkum. It is amazing what little evidence there was to say that this is how we should be eating or how we should not be eating. Absolutely incredible. But thank you also to you, our listeners. If you haven't already subscribed to our daily flash briefings of tips, tools, and research about lipedema, you can subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, or here at this website, lipedema-simplified.org slash flash, where you'll find an archive of all of our flash briefings. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time for another Living Well with Lipedema Flash Briefing. 